Well, good morning. Uh, like uh, Becca said, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at River City. Uh, welcome, especially if you are new or visiting this morning. just want to send a special welcome to you. Hey, Caleb, I see you over there, buddy. Um, uh, really looking forward to being with you. You just gave me this incredible smile. Uh, really looking forward to being with you guys this morning as we uh, begin a new series, uh, studying the book of Proverbs together. Um, I have been learning a ton in my own prep over the course of the last few weeks, and um, usually when God's at work in my heart, that usually means he has good things in store for your hearts as well, and so I trust that he does. As he been, It's just been really challenging and encouraging as I've been studying and prepping. Proverbs is um, uh, a book that's part of a genre of writings in the Bible and actually kind of in also an ancient Near East writing known as wisdom literature. And wisdom literature is, is a writing that's full of contemplation on and instruction for successful living. Wisdom literature, they're, they're thinking books. They're not meant to be just like powered through. They're not meant to be studied at a glance. They're meant to be mulled over and thought about deeply. They're meant to be processed over time, and they're meant to be returned to again and again and again. Because wisdom literature is not about information. Wisdom literature is about transformation. It's not about information. It is about transformation. It's about the deep transformation of our hearts and of our minds. But Proverbs is is not just this heady thinking book that contemplates the questions of life. Rather, Proverbs is this incredibly practical book. Because wisdom is not just about what you know or what you believe. Wisdom is about applying those things to your actual everyday lives. For example, Proverbs 27, 14, it tells us, if anybody loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it'll be taken as a curse. In other words, a well-intentioned but badly timed top of the morning to you can go badly, right? That can, that can produce things you're not trying to produce. And God thinks it's worth us knowing stuff like that. One commentator writes it this way. He says, God cares about our understanding of the massive truths of our existence, but he also cares about the nuances that make a difference in our relationships and our experiences every day. You see, on one level, Proverbs is kind of like the cheat codes for life. On one level, Proverbs is kind of like the cheat codes for life. It's a collection of wisdom about how life works best, what really leads to the best fullest, most satisfying life, and what doesn't. In Ecclesiastes, uh, another uh, genre, another book in the wisdom literature genre in the Bible, it says this, there is nothing new under the sun. The author of Ecclesiastes is, what he's saying is, it's all been tried already. All the paths, all the avenues, all the different ways to life and happiness and success, they've all already been tried. You're not trying anything new. Only one of them has been proven to be the way to real, lasting life. One pastor I read this week, he gave this really helpful example for understanding Proverbs. He writes this, he says, When the Wright brothers flew their airplane for the first time in 1903, they knew it would take off because they had built a wind tunnel where they had tested different wing designs before they risked their necks in actual flight. That's what the Proverbs are for. We can explore real-life situations through the wisdom of Proverbs. We can know in advance what is going to fly and what is going to crash because biblical wisdom tells us the truth about what life is really like and how it really works. Proverbs is kind of like the cheat codes for life. See, the world says, live and learn. 
But God's wisdom calls us to the opposite. God's wisdom calls us to learn so that we can truly live, to begin with learning, to begin with knowledge, to begin with understanding, to begin with wisdom so that we can actually, truly have life. It's often said that life is a game. Everybody wants to win at that game. Everybody does whatever it takes to try to win at the game of life. Everybody wants to be successful. Everybody wants to be happy. And we look everywhere looking for the answers for how to do that. We try out every new idea on how to maximize our life or our happiness or our success. And we think eventually somebody has got to have it figured out, right? After all this time, somebody's got to get it. But the answers that we're looking for, they're not new answers. They're ancient answers. They're answers that are as old as time itself. You see, the wisdom literature of Proverbs, it's not just about understanding the way, that, the way to the best life. It's about first acknowledging that there is an order, there is a pattern, there is a design to the way that life works best, and we didn't come up with it. You see, winning at life isn't about being super smart or clever, it's about being wise. And as we'll see in our passage this morning, true wisdom begins in one place. It begins with God himself. And so if we want to be wise, we've got to first acknowledge and submit to the author of wisdom itself, the God who makes the world work the way it does. And so with that in mind, let's pray as we begin take a first look at the first few verses of the book of Proverbs. God, we are so thankful for our time together this morning. We are so thankful for our time to be able to be in your word Thank you that you've given us your words so that we might know you, that we might know where true life is found, that we might live in light, in line with the ways that you have set up and designed the way the world to work. And so, God, we ask as we begin our study this morning that you would give us soft and teachable and moldable hearts so that uh, instead of being resistant to what is true, God, that we would be humble and receptive to what is true. God, cause us to be able to receive from you the life that you long for us to have and you long to give us as as you make us wise. And so, God, as we study, we ask that you would indeed make us wise. God, we come humbly, ask that you'd be renewing us and changing us and transforming us, God, for our good, for your glory. God, I pray that you would use me to that end this morning as we teach. God, I need you. I need your spirit to fill me so that what I teach and say would have any value or worth or power. God, we need you so that we would hear. In your good name, we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in Proverbs chapter 1. We're in verses 1 through 7 this morning. It reads this way. Proverbs 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding uh, words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, for doing what is right and what is just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables and for the sayings of the riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. As we begin our study this morning, the opening verses of Proverbs show us three things that we need to rightly understand. This book and, and really any other book. Verses 1 through 7, it shows us the purpose of the book of Proverbs. It shows us the audience of the book of Proverbs. And it shows us the source of the book of Proverbs. So let's dive in. Verse 2 begins by talking about the purpose or the goal of the book of Proverbs. It says this way, Proverbs is for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. The point of the book of Proverbs is simply this, that those who study it would gain wisdom. 
And so it begs the question, what is wisdom? I want you to think of somebody uh, that think of somebody that you know or that you know of that you would characterize as somebody who is wise. Picture that person in your mind. See many of you looking at me. I'm flattered. <laughs> think of someone else, right? Um, so what is it about that person that makes you consider them to be wise? What characterizes that person that you think that person is wise? Maybe it's because they're experts in a certain field. Or maybe they're really skilled at a certain trade or craft that they do. Maybe it's because they're really wise with their, with their money or, or they're very successful in their career. Maybe it's because of how they relate to, to others. Maybe it's as parents or as coworkers or as friends. Maybe it's because of uh, the way that they talk, what they say or what they don't say. Maybe it's the wisdom they give you or the counsel that they've given you. Maybe it's the advice that they have given you or that they've given others. My guess is, as you think about that person, it's not just one of those things. It's probably a combination of some or all of those things. And that's because wisdom is not just about having knowledge about something. It's about being able to apply that knowledge to whatever you are doing. It's one thing to know how investments work. It's another thing to actually make good investments. It's one thing to know about cars. It's another thing to know how to diagnose what the problem is with your car and be able to fix it. You see, one is knowledge, the other is wisdom. Wisdom is distinct from knowledge, but it's, it's inseparable from it. Knowledge and wisdom are really closely tied together in the book of Proverbs. Knowledge is about, under, is a, is about a correct understanding of things. To have wisdom, you've got to know what's actually true. And that's where knowledge is. Knowledge is the understanding of what is true. It's the correct understanding of things. But knowledge is the acquired skill of applying, or wisdom is the acquired skill of applying that knowledge rightly to the various situations of our lives. So you cannot have wisdom without knowledge, but you certainly can have knowledge without wisdom. That's the definition of being a fool. The definition of a fool is one who has knowledge but not wisdom. You need knowledge in order to have wisdom, though. Wisdom is it's not shown by what you know. Wisdom is shown by how you apply it to how you apply what you know to your life. It's, wisdom is shown by what you do. Verse 3 it, it references this. Verse 3 says, Proverbs, it's for receiving instruction in prudent behavior. It's for doing what is right and just and fair. Wisdom is not just about knowing right things. Wisdom is about how we live and how, we, how our lives reveal what we know. Wisdom is not just about information. It is about transformation. The Hebrew word that's used for wisdom, it refers to doing something with skill. The Hebrew word that's used for wisdom, it refers to doing something with skill. In Proverbs, it refers to the skill of godly living. The same word is used in Psalm 107.27 for the know-how of sailors who use the winds and tides to make their way through the sea to the destination that they're going through. It's used also in Jeremiah 10 verses 9 where the expertise of goldsmith is called the work of skilled men or the work of wise men. You see, sailing and goldsmithing, like those two things, godly living is an acquired skill that we all need to grow in, and that we all need to gain. And that's what Proverbs is here for. Proverbs is here that we would gain wisdom. You need knowledge. You need understanding to have wisdom. But the goal isn't just to know things. It's to live differently because of what we know. 
that we would know what is good and what is true and what is right and that we would be able to apply that knowledge to how we live so that what is produced is the life that actually honors God. So the purpose of the book of Proverbs is that we would gain wisdom. The question is, who is Proverbs for? Who's the wisdom in Proverbs for? Who's the audience that Proverbs is written to? And in short, the answer to that question is everyone. In our passage this morning, we meet three of the four groups of people that Proverbs is addressed to. The first group is the simple or the young. We see them in verse 4. Proverbs is for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Those, the simple and the young, those are kind of two words that are, that are kind of used synonymously in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs, the simple or the young are those who simply lack knowledge or lack wisdom. And some of that lack is just that they need training, that they need struck instruction. But another reason that Proverbs makes clear as to why the simple lack knowledge and, the, and wisdom is because they refuse to commit to anything. As one commentary noted, the simple love being open to any opinion but committed to none. They love being uncommitted and because of that they are gullible and easily misled. In our world, this looks a lot of times like the unquestionable thinking that is, the truth, uh, that, is that truth is relative. Everyone is a little bit right. Believe whatever you want to believe. Do whatever you want to do. Everyone's got to be at least a little bit right. I'll just kind of pick a little from this religion and a little from this religion. Everybody's got a little bit of the picture. If we just kind of put them all together, we'll just get this one thing. And that looks like wisdom to the world, but it's really just simple-mindedness. It's really not doing the hard work of legitimately wrestling through the various beliefs and opinions that people have, because when you do, what you find is that they are not compatible. They're not actually compatible, and to think that they are is just to be simple. The second person that, uh, that the wisdom of Proverbs is for is for the wise. Verse 5 says it this way, Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. Being wise is, is not a point you reach, rather it's an attitude that characterizes you. A while ago, I remember reading an article, a story about LeBron James. He had just won the MVP award for whatever season it was. And instead of taking the summer off, he spent the summer working incredibly hard on improving his game. He spent the summer working specifically on improving his jump shot. He was already the best player in the game. He was already like determined to be the best player in the game. And he spent the summer working to get better. He knew that he still needed to improve. See, similarly, a wise person recognizes that the search for wisdom is a lifelong process that never ends. Throughout Proverbs, the wise person is characterized by humility. And it's a humility that realizes that no matter how far you have come, you still have room to grow. See, the minute you think that you've arrived, the minute you think that you are now wise, what you reveal is that you are not wise at all. You reveal that you are not wise at all. You reveal that you, you are either still simple, you are still young, or as we meet in verse 7, you reveal that you're actually a fool. See, verse 7 says that fools, they despise wisdom and instruction. While the simple are characterized by being ignorant and uncommitted, the fool is characterized as someone who thinks they're already wise. Proverbs 18, verse 2 says this way, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but they delight in airing their own opinions. Proverbs 12, 15 says it this way, The way of a fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. You see, fools think they are already wise. They are confident in their opinions. They think they have everything already figured out. 
and that they don't need to learn anymore. Welcome to pretty much every college freshman in the history of the world, right? Uh, I know that was me as a college freshman. But like uh, the freshman year of many college students, the disaster of their lives reveals that they don't actually have wisdom at all. They're just full of folly. And so we, in Proverbs 1-7, through we meet the simple or the young, we meet the wise, we meet the fool. And the last category of person that Proverbs is addressed to is the mocker or the scoffer. And we don't see them in these opening verses because while Proverbs is written for them, it's not really written to them. That's because the scoffer or the mocker are worse than fools who are wise in their own own eyes. Scoffers are mockers. Uh, One commentary defines it. They are hardened apostates who hate the wise and mock their wisdom. Proverbs 15, 12 says it this way. Mockers, they resent correction and they avoid the wise. See, they don't have ears to hear. In fact, they are actively opposed to God and his ways. Often, this is proudly and adamantly and unashamedly. It's important for us to understand the different people of the audience of Proverbs because there is a different tone in the passages directed towards each type of person. To the wise, the tone of Proverbs is one of a gentle invitation to come and learn and to come and grow. To the simple, it is a clear call to listen up and to choose to pursue wisdom. There's a toughness and a sternness in the words for the simple, but there is also a tenderness that is there. To the fool, the tone is usually harsh because the fool needs a good slap upside the head. The fool needs to be woken up to the reality of their actual lack of wisdom. But they also are beckoned to come and get the wisdom that they really need. There is this clear call that the fool would become wise. And lastly, to the mocker, the tone is one of condemnation. It is of clear and stern rebuke. It is a call for mourning. It is a call for repentance. You see, who the passages are written to or about affects how we read them and how we apply them. As we study, some of us will need a good slap upside the head by the book of Proverbs because we are either, we are either fools or we're acting like it. We need God's graciousness to wake us up to that reality. But some of us will need to hear the gentle but urgent call of the wise and to the simple to pursue wisdom. We're the simple who need to gain the wisdom that we lack. There is a toughness because gaining wisdom is urgently important. There are real consequences if we do not live in light with wisdom. But there is a tenderness because God loves us as his kids and wants us to actually grow. And so you need to keep that in mind as you read Proverbs. Who are the verses written to? What's the tone and the posture that is there? How do you fit with that? So we've seen the purpose of the book of Proverbs and the audience of the book of Proverbs. That leaves us with one last thing we see in verses 1 through 7. We see the source of the book of Proverbs. We see its author. Verse 1 opens this way. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. See, the book of Proverbs is actually an anthology of seven collections attributed to Solomon and other wise individuals. He's, uh, Solomon is listed as the author because he contributed the most and because he is the most famous just works that way, right? It still does today, right? All the little guys are getting stepped on still. Solomon was famous for a number of reasons. One, he was the king of Israel at the height of Israel's power and of of Israel's influence. And Solomon was also the richest man in the history of the world. The Bible tells us that his wealth surpassed every king on earth. His yearly income, get this, his yearly income in gold alone 
was worth more than $1 billion in today's money, and that was just a tiny fraction of his wealth. Most notably, though, Solomon is not just known for being the king, not just known for being rich, most notably, Solomon is known and famous for being the wisest man in history. First Kings chapter 4, we read this. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east and greater than all of the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. 1 Kings 4, it tells us about the greatness of Solomon's wisdom. There is no other wisdom that compared to Solomon's. It was clear that he was the wisest ever. These verses tell us about the greatness of Solomon's wisdom, but the verse right before these tells us something more important than that. It tells us about the source of Solomon's wisdom. 1 Kings 4.29 reads this way, God gave Solomon wisdom. God gave Solomon wisdom, very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sands on the seashore. God gave Solomon wisdom. What we cannot miss about Solomon's wisdom was that it was not his own. It was God's wisdom given to him. And that brings us to verse 7. You see, Solomon might be the author of Proverbs, but verse 7 makes clear that God is the author of wisdom itself. Verse 7 reads this way, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. See, wisdom begins and ends with God. He is the author. He is the source of wisdom. See, the way the world works the way it does, life works the best the way it does because God designed it that way. And so the search for wisdom must always begin with the fear of God, with a reverence for God, with a humility for God. One pastor, I think, just really helpfully explained it this way. He says, we struggle with that Hebrew word for fear because there is not a close English equivalent. So it is so important for us to recall the words of Isaiah 11, which remind us that Jesus also came in and delighted in the fear of the Lord. This description of the loving and respectful relationship that the eternal Son had with the Father reminds us that holy fear is not terror or dread of harm, but it's proper and worshipful regard for all that God is in his wisdom and in his power and his holiness, his mercy and his love. You see, the fear of the Lord is what differentiates the Bible's wisdom literature from all other wisdom literature of the time. See, true wisdom True understanding, it begins with God. Solomon knew that, and his surpassing wisdom proved that. Kings from all over the world, they came seeking Solomon's wisdom. Why? They came seeking his wisdom because it was obvious that it was greater than their own. You see, Solomon, he was the wisest man in history, but if you know anything about Solomon, you know that his life was not always marked by wisdom. It was not always marked by skill in godly living, as Proverbs defines wisdom. In fact, for much of his kingly rule, Solomon's life showed the exact opposite of what looks like wisdom. You see, the wisdom of Solomon, his skill in godly living, or lack thereof, it leaves us sorely longing for one who is wiser than him. And in Matthew 24, one wiser than Solomon comes and he proclaims that although kings and queens came eagerly from all corners of the earth to to gain the wisdom of Solomon, now something greater than Solomon was there. 
and his name was Jesus. You see, wisdom is not ultimately found in words about God, in words about God's ways. Wisdom is ultimately found in God himself. See, wisdom is a person, and his name is Jesus. First Corinthians 1.24 says, To those whom God has called, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. First Corinthians 1.30 says that you are now in Christ who has become for us the wisdom of God. Colossians 2, verses 2 and 3, Paul writes, I want you to know the mystery of God, namely that is Christ. In him are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's all in Jesus. Solomon and the Proverbs, all of the Old Testament, what it does is it leaves us longing for Jesus. It leaves us longing for one who would be wiser than Solomon. The ultimate picture of what it means to be wise, to have skill in godly living, is found in the person and in the work of Jesus. One commentator writes it this way. He says, the Proverbs find their fullest explanation in Jesus, who shows us what it means to live as God intended, and whose wisdom, you cannot miss this, whose wisdom is credited to us before God. He gives us his spirit to guide us into a life of imitating him, not to earn credit with God, but to experience the fulfillment in life that comes from living as God intended to live wisely. What we need to be wise, what we need to live godly lives is Jesus. It's Jesus by his spirit living his life in us. You see, we exist for the glory of God, and the way that we glorify God most is by living as he intended, living for his purposes, living in his ways, living in accordance with what is true and right, as good as he set it up. When we do that, what happens is that our lives are beautiful. Ray Ortland, one pastor, he says this way. He says, true wisdom is the grace of Christ beautifying our daily lives. True wisdom is the grace of Christ beautifying our daily lives. When God's grace comes and fills us, when he lives his life through us, it is beautiful. The book of Proverbs is for everyone. If you are here this morning and you are sucking down air, then Proverbs is for you. Come and get wisdom. Proverbs calling us, it's beckoning us. Come and get wisdom. Come and get understanding. Come and have life to the full. The question is, will you actually have the, re- the humility needed to receive it? Or will you be the fool who thinks that you know it all and is wise in your own eyes? Or will you remain simple and choose not to get the wisdom or the instruction that you need? Or will you be the wise who humbly submit yourself to God? If we want to be wise, if we want to have life to the full, if we want to have the life that we all are looking for and longing for, then we must first humbly submit our lives to the wisdom of God, to Christ himself. John 10.10 reminds us, Jesus says this, I came that you would have life and have it to the full. We look for life everywhere, but there's only one place where life is found, and it's in Jesus. That's it. It's just him. Everything else is temporary. Everything else will come and go. Everything else will not last. It's just him that lasts. It's only him where real wisdom is, where true life is. It's just found in him. And the humility that's needed to submit ourselves to him and to God, it begins at the cross. On the cross, what we see is the wisdom of God dying in the place of fools like you and I. Because God loved us. 
even when we despised him. You see, Jesus, the embodiment of wisdom of God, humbled himself for us on the cross. And when we look at the cross, when we stare at the cross, what happens is our pride and our self-sufficiency, it melts away. And what happens is that we begin to truly, actually worship. And in our worship, in our fear of the Lord, in our, in our humble reverence for him, in our awe of him, what happens is we actually begin to become wise. And that's what we confess when we celebrate communion together. So we celebrate when we celebrate communion together. We confess that the wisdom of God is what we really need. We confess that the foolishness of God is why there's then any wisdom that we have to offer. And we celebrate that in our need and in our inadequacy and in our pride. Jesus, the word of God, Jesus, the wisdom of God, came so that he would make us wise. Timothy says that the word of God has come so that we would be made wise for salvation. You see, the bread reminds us of Jesus' body, which was broken for us, as in wisdom. He skillfully lived the life that we did not. And the drink reminds us of Jesus' blood, which was shed for us, and it looked like foolishness as he died a death for foolish, rebellious people like you and I. As we take communion, what we're doing is we're proclaiming the gospel. What we're doing is preaching to ourselves and preaching to one another that it's Christ crucified, which while it looks like foolishness, which while it seems like foolishness, is actually the wisdom of God for us. Communion, it does not make us right with God. It does not save us. It does not change our status or our standing with God in any way. It's faith alone in the person and the work of Jesus that does that. It's only through faith in him that you can be reconciled to God and to others and begin and live in a way that is truly wise, that is truly life-giving. Maybe you're here this morning and what you realize is that you have been trying everything else and it's not working. It leaves you longing for something more. It leaves you questioning. And Jesus is calling you in his word this morning to come and surrender to him. He is what you need to live a, true, a life that is truly wise. He is the one you need to have the life that you really long for. And his arms are open wide. They are full of forgiveness. They are full of grace. And so the invitation is for us to embrace him and become truly wise. The invitation for all of us is to embrace Jesus Christ, King Jesus, the God of the universe, so that we might become truly wise. As we sing and as we worship and as we remember the gospel together in song this morning, I just encourage you as we take communion, submit yourselves to God, humble yourself before him, ask him to show you who you are in Proverbs. Ask him to remove your simple heart or your foolish heart or even a mocking or a scoffing heart. Ask him to make you truly wise for his good and for, for, for your good and for his glory. Every church does communion a little bit differently. Here at River City, there's two tables in the back. During our time of musical worship, you can go up at any point in time. You can take communion. Just dip the bread in the juice. Communion for us here is a celebration, it's a remembrance, it's a proclamation of Jesus, the wisdom of God, come to make us wise for salvation. Let's pray. God, we just, come, we just come to you this morning. We are so thankful that what we have in your word is the way to true wisdom. 
the way to a life that honors you and that is full of the joy and the, and the peace and the happiness and the longing that we really need and look for. God, we just, we just come and we confess that we look for life everywhere but you all the time. God, we think so much other stuff will give the life that we're longing for. God, and we come this morning and what Proverbs reminds us is that there's only one place that life is found. There's only one place that wisdom is found. There's only one place that, that joy is found, and it's in you. So God, we pray that you would give us hearts that are humble enough to receive that from you. To lay down our own pride, to lay down our own self-sufficiency, to lay down our own, uh, our own reliance on ourselves. God, to lay down our own wisdom in our own eyes, but instead to receive your wisdom, the wisdom of the ages. God, we need you. We ask that you would pour out wisdom to us as we come humbly to you. In your good name, amen.